Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, I'm talking about biosolutions with Claire Bend, head of Agri's technical department. We will be looking at the question of why biosolutions, the potential benefits in agronomy programs, and looking at some of the current projects in research and their aims. Good morning, Claire. Yeah, hi, Tony. How are you? Uh, great, thank you very much. And it, it's uh, it's brilliant to be talking with you today and uh, really looking forward to this podcast. So can we start by uh, asking the question, why biosolutions? Okay, so I guess we need to define exactly what biosolutions are in an agronomic context. Um, essentially, it's a term used to describe products that might be used um, as well as or instead of conventional plant protection products that are based on synthetic chemistry um, to help protect crops and enhance growth in in many different ways. Um, We as Agri divide them into two categories. Firstly, you've got the biostimulants. Now these can be microbial, so things like plant growth promoting bacteria uh, or mycorrhizal fungi, which can form important associations in the soil or non-microbial, such as seaweeds, humic acids, amino acids, etc. And essentially, they help improve plant growth. So they might help nutrient uptake or nutrient use efficiency or tolerance to stress, such as the very, very dry conditions that we're experiencing at the moment. The second category uh, we term biocontrols, and these really include fully registered biopesticides, which may be based on living microorganisms or or indeed natural products. Um, And if they've been registered, of course, they have been shown to control pests or diseases either directly or indirectly, um, for example, by stimulating a plant's own defence mechanisms. What do you mean by synthetic chemicals compared to biosolutions? What does that actually mean? Well, those would be fully approved plant protection products which have come through the UK uh, or the EU registration system, um, but they have been synthesized from chemistry as opposed to coming directly from a natural product. Um, And they have specific claims on the label around weed disease or pest control. And you're talking about also um, helping with some of the gaps in the agronomy toolbox. Um, Can you give me some examples there of of some of the gaps where these biosolutions can help us? Yeah, I mean, as, uh, as Agri, our, our goals are always to try and help customers achieve optimum gross margins with the best integrated advice. And whilst we promote cultural controls um, and IPM wherever we possibly can, of course, conventional plant protection products are part of the agronomy toolbox. And unfortunately, they're declining in number. Once we've got some new ones coming through, I'm afraid the loss of active ingredients has been very rapid in the past few years. Uh, Some really key ones, some really key fungicides like chlorthalonil, epoxyconazole, pentropimorph, several insecticides and several herbicides. Uh, So basically that's leaving gaps in our agronomy toolbox. And there is the potential we feel that biosolutions could fill that gap. Right. And you talk about some of those very, very well-known, and they were indeed very well-established um, active ingredients, like you said, fempropimorph, for example. What, why are we losing some of the access to those products? What, what actually is happening, just to bring us all up to speed? 
Okay, so basically the registration system has raised its hurdles um, ever since uh, first synthetic chemistry came along. Um, the registration system is continuously improving and trying to make products safer and safer and safer, both to the environment and to the operator. Uh, and of course, as scientific understanding grows and develops, standards are raised. And therefore, as a result of that, some products don't make the grade. And of course, we do have newer products coming through, which are safer, and they are better able to um, make those standards and achieve that grade. Okay, so we've, as you said, we have some gaps in the armory there in terms of what agronomists can recommend and what farmers can use. You also mentioned that Biosolutions will have labels that uh, demonstrate that they have full approval. And part of that approval is demonstrating efficacy to some degree, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. So for the biopesticides, many of those will be registered and approved biopesticides. And therefore, they go through the registration system and they have to show efficacy data as part of that, as well as all of the other ecotox tests which are done on synthetic chemistry as well as biopesticides. Biostimulants, however, don't have to have that registration package behind them. Um, and therefore there is more flexibility around those. That said, it means that we have got very many coming onto the UK market and we feel it's our job as Agri to really try and sort out the wheat from the chaff. So which of those are offering very you know consistent and deliverable benefits and which are not uh, and that's part of our research into these into these products very interesting and are, are we already using um some biosolutions now in our crops oh we certainly are um so we've got a number uh, on the market uh they, they sometimes in the press they're kind of portrayed as the new big thing uh, but actually, you know, they've been around for decades and I can give you several examples. Humic acids, which have been incorporated in uh, micronutrition formulations for decades to help translocation and uptake of the, of the nutrient. Um, and also amino acids have also been around for a while. Um, and they're particularly useful at alleviating stresses caused by adverse weather conditions, um, or to reduce crop effects that might result from, uh, for example, using late season PGRs in, in spring barley or oats. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the adverse weather. Well, we've seen another dry and uh, very cold spring this year, haven't we? I mean, you know, I think we're expecting some rain around the corner, but uh, uh, do these biosolutions offer some help from that point of view? I think that's really where the biostimulants come in. Um, so amino acids in particular have got uh, a potential role here. Um, I mean, lack of water, of course, reduces the crop's ability to take up nutrients from the soil, which then in turn impacts photosynthesis and yield and other uh, important functions in, in the crop. Um, but drought stress can also stimulate plants to produce very reactive molecules, which are quite damaging to the crop, to the plant cells. And amino acids can help promote and produce catalysts that break those down um, and in effect detoxify them. Um, and they can also play a part in, a part in regulating water losses and, and keeping cells turgid. So uh, I think from a drought point of view, that's really where we would, uh, we would point people in the direction of amino acids. 
Um, I was reading the document that you put together called Biosolutions Explained, and it it referenced how this fits within your Green Horizons initiative. So tell me a bit more. How does it fit within that initiative? Yes, well, biosolutions may present um, a lower risk to the environment. And, and, and certainly within our Green Horizons manifesto, you know, we, we've said we're going to really um, explore the potential uh, of, of biosolutions for that reason. Um, we have a very interesting and exciting project that has stemmed from the Green Horizons initiative called the Field of the Future. And what we're looking at there is to work with manufacturers to examine much reduced rates of conventional plant protection products, bolstered by the best, if you like, of the bios which have come through our testing, our rigorous testing process. Um, so to give you an example of that, we have um, a three site project. These are all small plot replicator trials across 14 varieties in each case, looking at lower levels of fungicides than we might normally use, but bolstered by these biosolutions. So I think that's going to be a, a very interesting project. But what we're also doing as part of the Green Horizons Initiative is to try and fast track our understanding over how these products work. Because if we can understand better how they work, we will know then um, where they might best deliver some benefits to growers. So that's part of the commitment as well, um, to really try and put some sound science and facts and evidence behind how these products are used. Yeah, and I guess that's going to be really important to agronomists as well, knowing that they're recommending tools which are really going to help and fit within that agronomy programme um, that in turn are going to help their growers with their crops. Um, you also mentioned some work that you're doing um, further afield, I believe South America as well. I was intrigued by that. How's that relevant to us? Okay, well, that's a, that's a perfectly fair challenge. Um, I think, you know, our approach with these products, and let's, let's you know, uh, make no bones about it, many biosolutions are not as consistent as synthetic chemistry. Um, they are a bit flaky, they are a bit variable, and we have been testing in field trials, I think upwards of 150 of these over the past few years. And we have about, I'd say, uh, an 85% failure rate. So what we wanted to do was to try and understand which products might have potential to narrow down the options which we then commit resources to and put into small plot field trials. Because these field trials are expensive, they're quite um, resource inefficient. There's a lot of additional measurements that we need to take, green leaf area, grains per ear, et cetera. And if we just have a blanket approach whereby we put all of these new bios into field trials, that could be uh, very, very expensive. So what we're doing with our business in South America is working with them or looking at lab tests that can measure some of the positive biochemical effects that these products might have in plants. And by using that, we can compare between different products. The ones which then look most promising, we can put into glasshouse tests and see to what extent they're helping um, parameters of crop growth, rooting, et cetera. Um, and there, 
From that point, we then take those into our small plot field trials in the UK. So we're not taking, if you like, field data um, on, on soybeans or, or corn from, from South America and assuming that's going to uh, work in UK conditions on UK crops, but the lab data is perfectly sound to use, the lab and the glasshouse data. So that's a lot of work, isn't it? I mean, uh, laboratory screening and tests, your glasshouse, interfield, replicated trials. As you said, the trial in the UK across 14 different varieties. It might sound an obvious question, but why is consistency of performance of these biosolutions so important? Because I think when people are preparing to invest in their crops, they want to know or be as certain as possible that there's going to be a positive effect that results and ideally um, a positive margin over input costs. And therefore, consistency is as important with these as it is with synthetic chemistry. But having said that, it can be, um, I, I think we need to change how our level of expectation over these products as well and what they're capable of delivering. So consistency is important up to a point. If we feel that we have a package of information, which is looking at laboratory, glasshouse, and positive field data, we can be as certain as we possibly can be that there will be a consistent benefit then delivered to our customers. And I think the other factor that we need to uh, take a view on is where is the best position in the programme? You know, what we feel is is the wrong approach with some of these, and, and, and the press can be at times um, uh, full of this type of claim, is that these are cure-alls, that you can use them in every situation. And we want to be able to be as targeted as is necessary to those slots in the agronomy programme that are going to deliver a, a true benefit. That makes sense to me. Um, and are we just talking about cereal crops or are we talking about others as well? No, we are talking about other crops and indeed from a biocontrol point of view, so in other words the biopesticides, there are actually far more approved biopesticides for use in horticulture so fruit and veg, than there are in broadacre arable crops. Broadacre arable crops are actually, you know, at the moment there are far fewer options. Um, we have one uh, approved registered biofungicide that we're using for the first time this year in winter wheat. Um, that's based on laminarin, um, product called Diodus, which is a useful option at the T0 timing. Uh, and this is an elicitor, so this will stimulate the plant's own defence mechanisms uh, before <clears throat> you get to your main fungicide timings. But uh, for fruit and for veg, there are a number of biopesticides which are already there. Yeah, and indeed, you mentioned uh, the work that's going on in Brazil. Obviously, there's other crops there, such as soya, which of course would be a, a key crop for those growers over there, wouldn't it? Yes, it would, absolutely. Um, I mean, the other kind of international element is that we have a project which is being worked on uh, by University College Dublin. So this is our CONSIS project. Uh, so it's sponsored by our parent company, Origin, but also by the Science Foundation Ireland. So that's like our AHDB. 
Um, and it's a five-year project, uh, very uh, deep and intricate uh, into a particularly focused on winter wheat. And the part of the uh, purpose of that project is to look at endophytes. So endophytes are uh, in plant, that's what endophyte means, and they could be bacteria, they could be fungi. And pre-COVID, what the scientists did at UCD was travel all over the world to extract endophytes from wild wheat relatives, bring them back to Ireland, bring them back to the university and screen them to identify what they are. So they, so say they may be bacteria, they may be fungi, and then to put them into, again, uh, agar tests to see, do they have any activity on septoria or tacal or fusarium? So those are kind of the three uh, very, very important diseases to ourselves over uh, in the UK. Um, and if they do, they then go into the glasshouse and from there into field trials. So autumn 2020, very exciting. Uh, we've got the first of these endophytes that have come out of the university going into trials as seed treatments, but also as foliar sprays. Will biosolutions help farmers actually produce their crops in a sustainable way going forward and a profitable way going forward? I think the best of them will, um, and I think they'll be very useful in integrated pest management programmes, but they do need to be selected on the basis of clear targeted positions, and those positions have got sound evidence to support them. Um, I think what one thing I would also add at this point is you talked about consistency earlier. More and more of the major R&D manufacturers are investing in, in companies that may have some interesting chemistry or biology in this area. And what I'm anticipating or hoping is that these R&D manufacturers will bring their great formulation expertise to bear, and therefore these products will improve in terms of their consistency. And with so much going on in, in this development area, um, both, as you said, laboratory test, glasshouse, and also in the field. How can agronomists and also uh, growers keep in touch um, hearing about these developments? Okay, well, obviously the first uh, step is to listen to this podcast, Tony. But we do have um, bulletins which are on our website uh, about biosolutions and um, explaining a little bit of detail behind those. They will be talked about at our IFAR meetings. Um, we did cover them to a degree in the virtual iFarm uh, videos and webcasts that we did last year in 2020. And we'll be doing more of those this year in 2021. So watch this space. We also will be putting out bulletins on Twitter. You can also ask your agronomist because they will have all of this information at their fingertips. Uh, thank you, Claire, for a very interesting look at biosolutions. Developments that really could provide some agronomy solutions that could be of real value helping growers facing the challenges of sustainable and profitable crop production. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you would like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time. Thank you.